This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Power Cat Podcast, presented by Fridge Wholesale Liquor. Now let's go to the Rolling Flint Hills, home of the Cats and Dogs Studio. Here's your host, Tim Fitzgerald. Welcome to another edition of the Power Cat Podcast. Tim Fitzgerald, Zach Carlson, and the Cats and Dogs Studio, and Ryan Gilbert in his luxurious private studio space in Aggieville. Did Gills, am I overselling that a little bit? Everything. That's bit. spot on. It's luxurious. It's like, oh, it's going to start mean, over again. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's everything about it was true, except the luxurious part. You're just a man in a corner talking to a computer. That's what you are. Pretty much. Yeah. We're sponsored by Fridge Wholesale Liquor. Make sure you check out the fridge whenever you're in town and you should be coming to town. Hmm next saturday not this upcoming saturday next saturday when kansas state closes out its regular season against the iowa state cyclones it could be a pretty interesting addition of the basketball side of farmageddon little tensions from maybe left over i think k-state's moved on iowa state will never forget they'll never give it up but uh it's going to be a interesting end to the season and you need uh the fridge to get you through it Check it out at the corner of this and that in the town in which we live. Great service, great selection, great people. They always got a good answer for you. The fridge wholesale liquor. So you're saying don't come this weekend to Manhattan well, for anything. You, you can. I mean, when do the women play? I don't have the schedule right in front they're, of me. They're Texas Tech. Tonight's well, senior night. Here's a good idea. Why don't you just uh, come to Manhattan uh, this weekend and watch the Cincinnati game at your favorite bar here in Manhattan. In fact, Go to Ryan Gilbert's luxurious Aggieville studio space and tailgate. Just park out front. <laughs> and congregate. Congregate. Yes. Yeah. Great numbers. Is, th- is that this That's, weekend? Yeah. You blew it. I didn't even know it was this weekend. <laughs> you blew it. Oh, my gosh. I was trying to lead you into it, and you didn't want to go on a fake Patty day, it, fake Patty's day rant. It's kind of weird not to have a home game. It's overlapped yeah. a lot more than it hasn't. Yeah, I remember the year that they played Baylor, and the students showed up wearing green Big Patty's Day shirts. That was funny. Yeah. Um, and why don't you come to town and just uh, observe the arrests? Because uh, the police are making it very clear you cannot have fun. You can't. You can't you do anything. You get a pretty you good view have... from my apartment. Five, yeah, that's true. Five or more people, you get arrested, which doesn't seem constitutional to me. But hey. Anyhow, uh, I'll fight that battle another day. We're going to get into your questions from Wabash Station. If you're new to this this thing we do, we've been doing for, I don't know, 15 years. Uh, you get to ask questions at Wabash Station. We answer here on the podcast. Everyone gets to listen and now watch. I don't know why you'd want to watch this. Uh, my shirt's rather distracting today, uh, but it is from that <clears throat> that brand that sponsors the daily delivery. The pixels hate it. 
Pixar, no, that's an old. That doesn't happen that way. Are you sure? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, it might happen on on these switching definition cameras. Oh, we're gonna go 1080p. Now we're at 42. Anyhow, let's get going with the questions from Wabash Station. Zach Carlson, take it away. From Cat and Callo. Hello. The Cincinnati game is this Saturday, and is it truly a do or die game for the NCAA tournament? Win there. And there, there's at least a chance. If you lose, there's no realistic path. Do you all agree? No, I don't. But it's the most, the easiest path at this point is to win at Cincinnati. I just said on radio, I think they need three more wins. And so if you accomplish Cincinnati and defend your home court with Iowa State, you got KU in between, um, which seems a little more tangible or does it after they stunk it up against BYU. They got to get Kevin McCullough back, and we'll see if if he does come back soon. But uh, and then win one in Kansas City. The good news is, if you the the key really for the Cincinnati game is it guarantees you that you're not going to be playing on the first day of the Big Twelve tournament. There's now a two game gap between K State and Cincinnati, so you don't want to you know give it right back. Uh, they've they've got some space there. They're clearly above the bottom four, which are Cincinnati, UCF, West Virginia, and Oklahoma State. Uh, and those will be the teams playing on the first day. And the good news with that is uh, then if you need to get a win in Kansas City, if you're the seventh seed, you're going to be playing the the 10th seed. So you'll be playing a team that didn't get a bye either, but is kind of of equivalent worth. The 8th and 9 will play each other on that day too. Uh, so there's not opportunities there, but it is a lot easier with a win over Cincinnati. You don't want to go to Kansas City having to win two or even three games because if you win three – uh, you probably just went to the NCAA tournament anyhow. Yeah, Fitz, you kind of said it best. I, ideally, you probably would want to beat Cincinnati, beat Iowa State here in Manhattan, pick up that win in Kansas City. I 100% agree that three wins, no matter how you get them or who they're against, right? Three wins from here to the end of until Selection Sunday, that's probably going to be good enough to get you in. But with Cincinnati, to answer the question, no. Like Cincinnati, they're all going to be quad one games, right? Cincinnati, KU. Right. And Iowa State, those are going to be quad one uh, victories if you can pick them up. But guys, let's be honest: a win over Cincinnati, just in terms of like the eye test, and you know the committee's going to look at you know these fine you know details. A win over Cincinnati is not nearly as important as a win over a team like Iowa State or Kansas, right? So it, you don't have to win this game, but I think it's the easiest path, maybe best case scenario for K State. You pick up the road win, and then you want to split one or two. And probably you're gonna you're gonna lose in Allen Fieldhouse, and you're hoping to beat Iowa State inside of Bramlage, and then yeah, go to Kansas City and pick up one. And so it's key to not be playing on that first day for a number of reasons, but most importantly, a win over UCF or West Virginia on that first day does nothing for your resume. And then the next day, you're playing more depleted, more fatigued against a team that's you know has more rest, and so. You know, beating Cincinnati is key. It's very important, but it's not going to define the season for Kansas State if you lose. No, no, they've got to take it to the end here, Zach. They they've got no room yeah. here. They got to take care of business. I agree. It's not do or die, but if they lose, I think you do have to go to KU and win that game. I mean, yeah, I do, I don't see a path. I don't see a path where K State loses at Cincinnati and then loses to KU and then somehow makes the NCAA tournament. You know, w- you know, g- winning a game in Kansas City, beating Iowa State. I get that those are backwards how I listed yeah. them, but um, you know, you got to get a win in Kansas City. And if they lose to Cincinnati, they lose to KU. If you beat Iowa State, I don't know. You still might be playing Tuesday. 
and you need to get two wins. And maybe that looks a little better, but you can't just rely on a Tuesday win if you want to be in the tournament. You got to be a top 10 team. And and that's the starting point. And we'll get into it to the next question. But um, yeah, you got to at least be nine and nine. Let's go to the next question. From came to elevate every big 12 team that has gone at least 500 in conference play has made the NCAA tournament in recent memory. Why wouldn't this team make it as well with a nine and nine record in what is considered the toughest conference in the country? Uh, That's coach Tang's point. That is exactly his argument in summary, but um, does it work for, K-State because of the non-conference because some of the losses we thought were good losses are actually really bad losses. USC is a horrible loss. Uh, I can't believe the team I saw in Vegas is that bad because they got some dudes. So it comes down to locker room and coaching for me. They've got guys. They, they could be playing at a high level and they're not. And um, I, I don't know. I mean, I just think there's uh, some flaws in the resume that go beyond the the non-conference or go beyond the conference schedule uh, that are worrisome. Uh, I'm looking at how uh, everyone who does brackets um, and you know, let's be honest, Joey brackets gets information sent to him. And I think if K-State does win two out of three here in the regular season, you will see everyone have K-State at least in uh, on the bubble, very close to the last four in uh, or uh, they will be in. And uh, the problem with that is, yeah, you might be in Dayton. Uh, You know, that's what K-State's looking at. If they get in, they're going to be in Dayton for one of those first four games. And and we'll see if that, you know, that's – I hate that, but at least you're in the field. Maybe they'll book them for Dayton and then, you know, like Rome would be the next round. Maybe uh, Sub-Saharan Africa. They'll, They'll have to fly that overnight and play. Hopefully it's Pittsburgh. Or Indianapolis. Yes, I would agree with Hopefully. that. <laughs> Fitz, uh, you mentioned the resume. Like, real quick, if you're a K-State fan listening, you want to be rooting for Providence and Villanova from now until Selection Sunday. Make those wins look as good as possible because the Friars and the Wildcats of Villanova um, are both on the bubble right now. And so, uh, obviously, like, if it's a coin flip between one of those two teams, K-State's going to have the edge, right? Because probably head-to-head, but that's not going to happen. Like, there's so many – other factors, but what I'm saying here, you want to root for those teams, make those wins look as good as possible. But um, to the question, the the factor, the statistic mentioned, right? I, I just don't know how important that really is right now because the Big 12, this is the first year with it being 14 teams. Now you look at how, however many years it was with 10 teams. Okay, the Big 12 could send seven, eight teams, right? And getting 500 is going to be, you know, more than a more than enough to get you into the tournament, right? But now. I we'll see what the committee thinks. Does it change things when you have, you know, I've always said that the big 12 is deep. You know, we saw that on Monday with West Virginia, that being said, you know, West Virginia and UCF, those wins this year, I don't know how much like TCU and the, when the Horn Frogs first joined the conference, they were bad, but they got so much better over the years. And like a year or a year here, a year there, there's going to be teams that are just bad, but by and large, the big 12 was always just so deep top to bottom and that's why i think that statistics holds true and so i don't know what the committee's going to think of a team that goes nine and nine um with the best non-conference uh resume the worst non-conference resume we'll have to wait and see on swax and sunday what the committee thinks and if making that nine and nine is just a magical mark that you have to get to or not see i think 
K-State's biggest problem right now is they lost to OU and they lost to Texas. And those are the two teams in the standings. If you're the committee or if you're someone, you know, you're in the media and you're looking at, well, how does the Big 12 Conference stack up? There's potential for three nine and nine teams there, you know, maybe a little better, maybe a little worse. But at a certain point, you go down the line in the Big 12 and you say, that is the line. Those are tournament teams. Those are NIT teams or those are not playing in March. You know, because they're either looking for a new coach or, or whatever else. But I think that K-State, you know, if they would have won one of those two games head-to-head, um, I think K-State would probably be squarely in right now as far as the tournament picture. But they had that long stretch where they just weren't winning games. And the perception of K-State was was pretty bad for, for a time. But, um, you know, as we've seen, you know, and like you said about you know, Lenardi getting info as, as we get closer to selection Sunday, it, it is about the whole body of work. And, you know, you're just, you're when they're making these projections, it's not just him, it's everybody, you know, they're looking, well, what have you done for me lately? But at a certain point, late February, or late February, early March, you are starting to look at the whole body of work and you look at K state on paper, seven and eight, that's not a bad season in the big 12 by any stretch. No. But no, when you look at it, they started four and one and they went on this slide to get to seven and eight. You know, it's it's kind of like how what happened on Monday. They looked great for most of 30 minutes or so. And you're like, this is a great team. And then they threw it all away and barely made it to overtime to win the game. It's their whole season. In I one mean, game. that is that is what their season has. That been. is this, you know, what what K-State season has been. So. You know, I think as we get closer to Selection Sunday, I think that, you know, that late January, early February slide um, isn't going to be as important as it felt. I mean, just a week ago, all of the questions were about the NIT. Right. And now we've completely done a 180 after winning two games. So, you know, I think we probably are all guilty of not being a little patient here, but the task that K-State has is still pretty difficult and if they pass the test over the next three games, you know, they're going to earn it. You know, they earned that spot in the NCAA tournament, but they have some tough games ahead. Well, if you go back a couple of weeks ago, we were looking at Texas as a more tangible road win than Cincinnati. Now Texas has taken off. They just kicked Texas Tech's butt last night in Lubbock. Up and down. <laughs> Literally. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, and then they got into <laughs> fights and, and a guy with a mullet got kicked out of the stadium and hauled out by police. Uh, it was a beautiful moment. Oh, oh my gosh. I, I wasn't mean, watching the game. The guy went, I, I, I'd like to know what he did. If it was just yelling at a player or throwing stuff on the court because that was going on. But he got his ass hauled out by about six officers who carried him out. And he was yelling horns down the entire time, becoming a, a hero to the entire conference. But um, yeah, and since then, it's just in the tank. Uh, that is such a tangible opportunity for Kansas State. Uh, they, they just can't blow that. They just got to go take advantage of it. And, you know, it's right there in front of them. We'll see if they do it. I'd have to crunch Nick. the numbers on Cincinnati, but I'm yeah. sure the Cincinnati Bearcats 24-7 podcast is saying win three games in a row and catch fire. You know, there's, you know, the season's not completely over right now. My point here is that this is, you know, we talk about it being maybe a do-or-die game for K-State or not. You know, Cincinnati season isn't over, but they need a win, you know, right now. So, it's going to be a game with a with a high sense of urgency, which I know we we don't talk about like specific, you know, 
games and X's and O's on here, but you know, K-State has to lock in here because I would expect a pretty dang good effort from Cincinnati. I would agree. Totally. Next question is from Jim Cat. Fitz, go last on this since you did the DD on this today. But Jim Cat asks, I like Jerome Tang and hope he stays. However, did his calling out the students for not being there sound like the end of Bruce Weber's run when he was complaining that the fans complaining were the problem? Uh, I mean, so Bruce Weber didn't do anything for the fans, though. Like, I don't think Bruce Weber even has an Instagram account and reposting he, things. The stuff he bought that, pizza. Okay, he did brought pizza. I mean, when I was a I student, you know, I, I think, had Xavier Sneed coming out and give me donuts for a game when I was camped out. I'll give him that. I'll give him that. But, no, I mean, but we can all agree, guys, that was the worst Big 12 crowd that we've ever seen under, um, under Drum Tang. Guys, that might have been the worst crowd of the season comparing it to Bellarmine or South Dakota State or any of those non-conference games, right? So Drum Tang is a right. Like, it, that was that was a very bad crowd, right? We can all agree on that, right? Now, it was a Monday, 6 o'clock game. Weather was nice outside. You know, traffic, all this stuff. Who knows why? But K-State's, you know, I think the biggest thing, though, is just when you're when you're not winning, people don't show up. Right? Like Bruce Weber, when his, you know, first season, right, his Big 12 championship season the second time in 2019, you know, that place was rocking, right? And when you lose, you start to, you know, not come out on top. People don't show up. I think that's just kind of natural. And so I don't have a problem with saying, man, like it's a, it's a, it's a, there's a, it's a two-way relationship, right? Like. Jerome Tang, I, I, I think I said this a month or two ago. I think I said it after the, the, the Nebraska loss at home. Like, Jerome Tang can beg and, you know, all these fans to show up. But if it's a bad result and you're not winning, well, then I don't know if you can really blame them for, for not showing up. But K-State's now won two in a row, right? They're back on, like, especially coming up against Iowa State. This is going to be Tyler Perry's last go around. This is his last time at home ever wearing that purple jersey. Wouldn't you want to be there? And support now. I think that's kind of what Jerome Tang is saying here. Like, you know, K State's on the bubble. You know, that home court advantage it matters when Bramwich is rocking, and Bramwich was not rocking at all against West Virginia. Obviously, they come out on top, and you know, it is what it is. But it's a long-winded answer. So I, I see both sides here. But two things can be true. Like, you don't have to just right. have a strong stance one way or another, right? You know, the crowd was bad. Jerome Tang wants you to come. Jerome Tang helps you out. Like he said, he goes to fraternities and sororities. He reposts stuff. You know, he gives out his flipping phone number for crying out loud. Right. I think the least that he wants is people to show up in return. Yeah, I think a lot of it is Jerome Tang has a lot of ownership when it comes to being available to the students. Right. And he makes himself available. Like you said, the phone number, you know, being invited to events to come speak, come hang out. He's very visible and it's a good thing for K-State what he is and what he's meant over the last two years now, it's been incredible. But at the same time, I think that it is a, a two-way relationship here. If he's going to be doing this and putting in all this effort for the students and being there and being available, the, the students absolutely owe it to Jerome Tang to show up. I mean, it, plain and simple, Jerome Tang has done so much in such little time. The least you can do is show up. Yeah, it was a Monday night. It was 6 p.m. Yes, the number of students were there. Half the Big 12 would love that number of students True. that were there. Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, eh, maybe not Texas Tech right now, but Oklahoma State, Baylor, TCU, UCF, they would kill for the number of students that were in attendance on Monday night. So don't get me wrong. K-State has a great student section, and even on Monday night to Big 12 standards was still very quality. But 
with the number of tickets that are available for. I mean, they were still tweeting out mid afternoon. Hey, claim your ticket. You can still come to the game. Like there were student tickets still available that afternoon for students. So I just, it, it was a bad performance by the students showing up. Plain and simple. I, I'm going to reiterate something Gil said. <clears throat> if they had lost Saturday and looked bad or even looked, you know, had the West Virginia type performance where they won, but it wasn't real pretty. I could see a reaction from fans like, okay, I'm not going back next Monday night, but they played maybe their best game of the season and to come back and have just so many open seats and Jerome Tang's point is this, it, you know, it goes back to what Zach just said. K-State students show up in such large numbers. They have more seats than almost anywhere else in the Big 12, maybe the nation. They have five sections that can be filled by students, five. His point is you get the five sections, including KU and other big games, because you fill up the middle three sections. But if you're not going to fill those up, Kansas State Athletics can make a lot more money by selling tickets in those other two sections to the public. They don't make much money at all, if at all, off students. They, it's just not, the money's not there. And so to be able to sell those for 25 bucks a piece to, to the public would be more profitable for athletics. But the students have done things to earn that. And Jerome Tang is working incredibly hard to keep the students engaged. And so, yeah, he was frustrated when he looked up and there was, you know, right at the start of the game. I'm, I'm going to defend him in this. It did fill in. Before tip-off, it was awful. It was about 50% full, maybe 60% full in those main three sections. It filled up quite a bit. Maybe it just spread out and looked more full. But um, he always says what's on his mind. Does that get him in trouble at times? Yeah. Look back at the Iowa State game. Look back at criticizing an official. Um, and maybe that's just something he's going to have to learn that, uh, yeah, I really believe this, but I'm not going to say it right now. I'm going to find a different time. But um, I was disappointed in the overall crowd. Uh, and I know 6 o'clock on a Monday night, right after a Saturday game, it's just not easy for people coming in anywhere beyond an hour away. Slina and Topeka, you're still pushing it if you've got a job. Uh, you you got to get off work early. And uh, anywhere farther, like Kansas City or Wichita, you're not making – I mean, you got to basically take almost your whole afternoon off to get up there in time. And that just doesn't happen for everyone. So the students owe. They're right here. And he did recognize that there were midterms, but not that many midterms. But I'll go back to this. Uh, earlier in the season, before they played Kansas – I can't even tell you how many times because Gills and and Cole and Goins and less Zach because he didn't see he didn't sit up there with me. I show up right for the game. I, I mean, sometimes I wander in ten minutes before the game, thirty minutes before the game. I've shocked people by being there an hour early. Um, but when I would show up, when I'm coming in late, I am getting passed by student after student leaving because they checked in, they got their gift, and they went. To Aggieville or back home or wherever. Uh, that that's disgusting to me. That's almost stealing. The the trade-off here is you come and support the team and you get this thing, you get this t-shirt, you get this hat, you get this whatever. And you show up and get your gift and then leave. I'm sorry, that says a lot about you. 
Um, but um, the students are great. They're amazing. Uh, they just got to work on some of their excuses are pretty lame. I'm glad there's not a home game um, because uh, there'd be a lot of students missing for fake Patty's day with, with what's going on, everything else connected to that event around town. One point I want to make the students, like from the university standpoint, there is no external fund or funding from the university to athletics. Athletics is completely independent. Right. And we love that. It's a great thing that the athletic department is fully sustained on external donations, television revenue, whatever else. They are not relying on the student body, so to speak, which makes it interesting because since they're not relying on the student body, them giving all these tickets away is a great gift. You know, when I say giveaway, these are very cheap tickets that the students have access to. I mean, at a certain point, there's no money interest from the university side. If you're a student paying student fees to go to the athletic department at a certain point, if you don't start showing up, it's really easy to say, hey, we're an independent athletic department. We don't need to be giving you all these seats if you're not going to show up. We will sell these elsewhere. So I, I think that the students need to understand if you like going to sporting events at Kansas State University, you need to support and use those tickets allocated because those are are very you're very fortunate to have those is, right. is the point I'm making. They, the university could absolutely limit the number of tickets and get away with it. I agree. They really could. And, and here's one more thing, and I haven't even discussed this and I haven't even brought this up to anyone within our, you know, our staff text messaging. There is uh, apparently the naming rights have long since run out, so, which would also mean that the rights of the students as significant donors in the building of brand much calls him is also long expired and that maybe they're looking at more ways to generate revenue off of brand much Coliseum. Maybe that's what coach tanks hinting about because I'm told I haven't verified this, but I'm told it won't be brand much Coliseum next year. It's going to be something else. It's going to be a naming rights. I don't think it's going to be a supermarket. Um, Darn. I, I do have a feeling it's going to be an Irish theme investment company. That's just my gut um, gut feeling. The Shamrock Center? I, you know, I, I, I would hope they name it like the Shamrock Octagon of Doom. I would just get rid of Coliseum. Shamrock Octagon. Ooh, I like it. It's a little tongue twistery. I like but. it. <laughs> I like it a lot. That'd be good promo then uh, for the sideline thing. The tongue twisters that you got to say yeah. over and over. But, uh, yeah, I think there's more at work here that we don't know about. Last question of okay, the first. Okay, yeah. hey, hang on. I got oh, one more oh, quick oh, okay. comment about the – so, Jerome Tang, you saw how good it could be against KU, right? It's, you know, Bramwich has been – it's the student section specifically, right? There's not an empty seat there, right? So, Jerome Tang, I think the frustrating part for him, guys, KU's the biggest game of the year. West Virginia – has nine wins on the season. And so the frustrating part, and this, I, I don't know for a fact, but I would assume that, you know, he's he gets up on the scores table after they beat Kansas last year. And he says, you come to show up for your love of Kansas State, not about the opponent. Well, that's probably part of the frustrations for him is that, you know, fans are showing up for the opponent. Like if it's a better game, a marquee matchup, they're going to show up. Whereas Drum Tang, he wants those fans to show up every game to support his players regardless of who they're playing, right? So that's that's the last point I'll make is 
is that he wants these fans to show up not just for the KU game or whatever, but for every single game, especially a conference game. K-State fans just love good Big 12 basketball. Big Big, big 12 basketball fans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Last question from KSU Trumpet. After watching K-State lose guys like Battle, Edwards, Asmus. Is that how you say it? Asmus. Okay, Asmus. Yeah, makes no sense. Um, to other teams because of NIL and then see them perform well against K-State, does Jerome Tang have a war chest issue when it comes to recruiting? And is K-State doomed to see the struggles of this season without more financial support? Um, I think it's, uh, from everything I'm hearing, it's been solved. Um, I don't know that it was all NIL, though on some of those guys. I mean, I think you just, everyone just assumes, oh, we lost recruiters in NIL. Uh, you lost recruits before uh, for other reasons. You could still lose for those reasons. Kids aren't just exclusively making their mind up for NIL reasons. Ace Smith probably was. It's Texas. They probably just flat out gave him an absurd amount of money. Imagine if he hadn't gone to Texas and had come to K-State, what would be the records of these teams? Well, I mean, I'm, Texas would have backfilled with someone else. K-State tried to backfill. He ended up at Texas Tech. Then they brought in Glover, who's been hurt. Um, I don't know that it it was all war chest, but the war chest is much healthier this time around. We'll see what impact it has. I mean, I I I, I said this millions of times here on podcasts and, you know, radio, whatever I'm on, I say that Jerome Tang and Chris Kleiman, they don't want to recruit players that are just solely – in Manhattan for the NIL, right? So you see how good Raekwon Battle could be, right? You see the highs of some of these players, but, you know, West Virginia is 9-20 and 20, or 9-19, and 19, whatever they are, right? Like, at the end of the day, like, you want winners, guys that are going to go out and compete, right? Like, And not just show their ceilings off for, you know, flashes, but to, you know, lock in consistently. And so my point here is just, you know, I, again, like Raekwon Battle, I'm not sure. I'd have to, like, go back and look at, you know, Gills' transfer portal notes from last offseason. He, he wasn't but really involved with K-State. Yeah, I don't know didn't want K-State him. was interested. Yeah, I don't think there was much interest from Kansas State. Obviously, there was, you know, Max Aismas, they wanted him without a doubt. But, like, Edwards, you know, these guys were popping up on the boards and stuff. But just because, you know, some, you know, John Rothstein or someone links them to K-State, like this, you know, the hearing from this school, guys, I'm not sure how much that really means. So that's a, another sort of long-winded answer. Or not a long way to answer, but that was just confusing, guys. I'm sorry. I'm off you're, my game. I know. I, okay. I just I can't I can't make a, a point, like a, a clear point. I've got to <laughs> like ramble and rattle off a bunch of different words. But does that make I mean I, I don't know how much NIL really you know Acemas, that's a different story than probably yeah. every other guy that K State went after. Well, with battle, you would have had the well, eligibility Texas, issue. Texas, that's Texas. what it was. Yeah. Let's get let's get to that with battle. Yeah. Folks, don't forget that Raekwon Battle wasn't eligible. When he went to West Virginia, it took a court case playing out in a different area of the country to get him eligible mm. because the judge said, no, you can't just arbitrarily make this rule now that they're not eligible after they've transferred. Um, so uh, they, they they just avoided that because imagine yeah. that all going on too. well, you would end up with where you call battle, which doesn't suck. But uh, yeah, they would just take. kind of avoided that. No. Yeah. I think the perception is, and I don't know if this is fact or if it's just kind of opinion that we've kind of come up with as K-Staters and people in the K-State media, but I get the sense that K-State is interested in NIL to a certain point. Each player has a certain point of value. And if they're a good kid and they're worth a certain amount, you know, they're willing to take them. But at a certain dollar amount, they're like, well, 
maybe he's not such a good kid and he's just about the dollars, you know? And mm-hmm. I think that K-State had a ceiling on what their NIL to quality of the athlete and person that they were getting. And I think that their ceiling was a little too low on people that are otherwise good people, good athletes who are wanting to get their market value. Right. I think that now, as we've seen with this big push from Chris Klein and Jerome Tang, getting more support, you know, all of the NILs consolidating it, consolidating into one. Um, can't think of what the word collective. The collective is one now. So there's a much better coordinated effort for NIL for K-State right now. That's great. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that that probably had a little bit to do with it in the past. But now I think that the coaches see what the market has been over the last year. And now they understand that they need to pay more and they're not going to lose, you know, lose locker room, so to speak, bringing in guys that aren't of a certain quality as individuals. You know, they aren't necessarily chasing dollars, even though that dollar amount is just higher now. I think that was the biggest issue is, you know, if $200,000 is our max and after that, oh, they're just chasing the money. I don't think that that's necessarily the the move that K-State can make right now. I think that getting more funding, being like, well, if they're, if you know, this guy's a $500,000 a year guy, you know, that doesn't mean he's a bad kid per se. Right. Let's put it this way. You're looking for a home. You found a home you really like. It's listed for $450,000, so you offer $400,000 because that's what you think it's worth. Someone comes in and offers $475,000. So are they overpaying or did you underestimate the market? Now the move's up to you. Do you want to do $475,000 and see which offer they take or you want to do $480,000 and you know, take it up a little bit and see if that – and then they offer $500,000. Well, now, are you really going to get into a bidding war? So there's a difference from between getting in a bidding war that you don't want to be in and um, just kind of misevaluating the value, the market value of whatever you're attempting to purchase or rent in the case of a player. Uh, and I, th- I think they, they might be a little more eager or open to coming back to that second bid rather than, oh, now, now he's going back to them and now we get to a third bid. They're not going to do that. And, and you know what? That tells you all you need to know. Uh, I feel the same way about coaches. If they're constantly trying to milk you for more and more money, at some point you got to say, no, uh, we're, we're done. This is what we're paying. And uh, we'll see. I think they'll be more effective in that space. But, uh, again, uh, we're seeing teams that use the NIL successfully a year ago struggle this year, Missouri and Arkansas included. And uh, it's just going to be that way. That's the peril of – trying to do too much in the portal space. Sometimes it'll work beautifully, and other times it just won't work at all. That's it for the first half of the PowerCap podcast. We're sponsored by Fridge Wholesale Liquor. We'll be back on the other side with more of your questions from Wabash Station. We'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors. Please visit the Fridge Wholesale Liquor, located at the corner of Claflin and Westport Road in Manhattan, Kansas. 
Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back to the show. Let's return to the Cats and Dogs studio. Welcome back to the PowerCat podcast. Tim Fitzgerald, Zach Carlson here in the Cats and Dogs studio. Ryan Gilbert somewhere. Somewhere. We think he's at home. We said he was at home. He might be in the basement of Taco Lucha. I don't know. Who told, you? Just Who be... told you? I know. You just set up your studio there. That's what's going on. That's why the reception. Sometimes you freeze like you did just now perfectly on uh, on time. That was beautifully executed. We're sponsored by The Fridge. Make sure you stop into The Fridge whenever you're in town. Football season isn't that far away. I want you to start thinking about ways you can access The Fridge to better enhance your tailgate. That was a really bad read. On with your questions from Wild Bash Station, Zach Carlson. What do we got now? We got some football and some other stuff. No basketball. Okay, so Gills, uh, you, you get to take a breath. Okay. Breathe. <laughs> Breathe. Uh, from Kevin316, spring football practice starts next week. What positions or players do you plan on watching the closest when practices are open to the media? You really need to ask what player we're going to watch the closest. Um, I'm going to watch all of them because I'm trying to get as much video and photos as possible in the 15 minutes that, that they let us in there. In, in all honesty, <laughs> I'll watch that offensive line quite a bit. I want to see how they're using the defensive line differently. Um, they're talking about maybe some four-man fronts in certain situations, but also going to a bigger end uh, in other situations, like Jonathan Banks moving out to end uh, more than just playing over the tackle or, excuse me, over the center. Um, so those type of things will jump out at me. Uh, receiver rotations, you know, those things will be I'm, – I'm really uh, concerned about – I don't know. I, I think this team's going to be pretty good, but uh, – I. I think the concern will be trying to figure out all those interior spots of that offensive line and who all is going to step up, who's going to play center and who's going to fill the guard spots. And uh, they, they actually turned out, they returned quite a bit of number of guys that have some experience. So it's not as bad as what we thought it would be, but they got to get their depth rebuilt and all that. So that's really kind of where my focus is. I'm with you, Fitz. I think it's offensive line. Yeah. That's the first thing I want to see is what five guys are lined up together seemingly and what what will be the first team unit. I don't know if we're going to see them taking snaps. Sometimes they'll let us in there and they'll be running some 11 on 11. Um, usually it's just drills, but usually you can, even from the drills, you can tell, okay, that's a guy, that's a guy, that's a guy. That's probably the unit. But then again, who knows what, how they're going to, you know, order up in their drills it, it may not mean anything so yeah. until we can see a little bit of seven on seven or at least you know them playing 11 11 guys out there um together to run through some drills we're, we're not really going to know but yeah i think that offensive line is is the big question mark there gills i've heard that uh that avery johnson dude's got a chance to be Maybe we, a starting quarterback for this team. I'll have my eyes locked in to see if he's on first or second team reps. What was that name again? I got to write that down. <laughs> Amy? No. Nah, uh, you guys did it on the head. Um, and specifically, I think offensive lines an area to, to, to look at. 
I look, I we're all going to watch Avery Johnson. And part of what I want to see from Avery is that there was a photo of him. Maybe it was video um, working out with coach true and, you know, on the field, he looks big guys compared to what he was just mm-hmm. a year ago. He looks dramatically changed and he's going to need that bulk, particularly his legs and, you know, that upper body to take some of the hits you're going to absorb as, as any quarterback in the big 12, let alone one who's going to run the ball. I kind of, so I said that as a joke, but I'm sitting here thinking like, I actually am excited to see like quarterbacks, the, the leader of the football team, right? No matter what level, what, you know, team. So is he going to be that outspoken guy? Like last year, you know, I re- we were in the, the practice facility and Will Howard was, you know, uh, talking to his team and stuff. Like you need that from Avery Johnson, but, you know, is it natural or is it forced, right? So I think Avery Johnson is a leader. Yeah. but That's one of the things they rave about. He's just, even his dad talks about, he's just calm and rational and, you know, a good leader. And he says things that he believes in and, and sets an example. Uh, and he's, you know, his his pops has always said he's mature beyond his years and he handles mm-hmm. things much differently than most teenagers. Yeah. Blake Barnett is on that. campus, correct? Yes. Blake Barnett's on campus. He might be in a boot. Forever. I'm going to take a picture of him and use it on one of the stories because everybody loves clicking on the backup quarterback. That's true. You might want to get a few. <laughs> we'll of Jacob <laughs> But it's not often for it's not often for a you know a true sophomore to be in that situation. But I think if there's one player on that roster who's ready to be that leader, it's Avery Johnson. Agreed. Next question is from Call Me T22. One betting service that may not be on the shores of the United States gives (laughs) K State a 66% chance to make the playoffs next year. How many wins will it take to get in as an at-large team? in the 12-team playoff? I think you got to be 10, 9 for sure, but I think in the Big 12. Nine wins? Oh. To get in as an at-large? Yeah, in the Big 12? You think nine would do it? In Mm. some years. I'm thinking 10 for sure. Really? Yeah, 10 for sure. Oh, I think you got to get, I think 10 minimum. Well, I mean, I'm just saying, I I see some years where nine will get you in. Of course, I mean, if nine includes, well, it was about at large bid, so never mind. But yeah, I think the Big 12 will consistently get two teams in. And those odds also showed that K State and Utah uh, would be the two included from the Big 12 in the 12 team field. And almost all the odds indicate K State and Utah will play for the Big 12 championship, which brings up the interesting question. If K State or Utah is at nine wins, maybe even 10 wins going into that, game and there's someone behind them at nine wins that didn't get into the game do they sneak in over the loser of the title game because they just picked up a loss so that'll be the first test for how the committee's going to treat losing in your title game do you really punish teams for being in the title game as opposed to not being in it it'll be an interesting question that the the committee needs to come up with but i think on on the regular you'll see two big 12 two acc and you know the one at the one non-power champion, and then you'll see other seven spots divvied up between the SEC and Big Ten. But I, I'm going to be honest here. I, I, I have problems getting to three teams from the Big Ten some years, but bringing in the teams they brought in. The Big Ten actually really helped themselves. They needed some more quality. They had they had an elite upper crust with Michigan and Ohio State and then Penn State kind of below them. Uh, but now Oregon and Washington offer maybe that same kind of competitive 
uh, level at that very top end. And and maybe USC, if Lincoln Riley learns that you got to play defense, Lincoln, you need defense too. There, I just give some free coaching to a coach. Looking at polls right now because I want to see how many teams had 10 wins or more. So, okay. So the top 12 last year all had 10 wins or more in the, in the college football playoff rankings, that final rankings that they used before, obviously OU was the 12th team. They did not get in because the highest ranked group of five school Liberty gets that 12th spot. Um, So I, I just, I can't imagine there being a scenario where there isn't, enough 10 win teams especially in the big 10 now that they've added all of those really good pac 12 schools mm-hmm. i can't imagine a scenario where the big 10 doesn't get three in any given year I just agree. and the sec's at least two per year maybe three i think that the big 10 by adding the schools that they did they're probably the best conference in the country I don't agree with that still. I, I think there's a lot more easy wins in the Big Ten. Oh, yes. I, I agree with with that. I, I think, think winning that, nine in the SEC is much more notable than winning nine. In the I Big don't Ten. disagree, but I think that when you have the number of schools that will be nine or ten wins, and I especially ten wins, I think you'll see three teams in the Big Ten making the playoff year after year. You probably have three in the SEC, and that leaves – what, six spots for ACC, Big 12, and then whatever else is there? You know, I mean, it's, I, I think it's going to be really tough to get, um, to get in as an at large with nine wins. I think it'll be almost virtually impossible. And yeah, 2022, especially. looking at, I'm looking at 2022 right now. Uh, Washington was the 12th ranked team. Everybody above, they had 10 wins. Good. Everyone in the top 12 had 10. 2021, I got to select multiple so, things here. What you're saying, though, is if it takes 10 wins in the regular season to get in, Iowa State's never making the playoff. <laughs> no. Uh, if, you're, if you were interested, 2021, do you want to guess the number of teams in the top, however, that had 10 wins or more. No, I don't want to guess. It was 17 teams I'm in shocked. 2021 had 10 wins or more going mm. into that final, going into Selection Sunday, basically. Crazy. Wake Forest had 10 wins. Oh, yeah, Wake Forest. Oh, it went, yeah. it was Wake, I'm going from 17 up, Wake, Oklahoma, Iowa, Oregon, BYU, Pittsburgh, Utah, Michigan was 10th. So you had Oklahoma State, Ole Miss, Baylor, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Cincinnati, Georgia, Michigan, Alabama. Lots of new Big 12 schools in there. Yeah. (laughs) So I'll be intrigued to see how it all works out once you get a live season and, you know, where it takes us. And uh, I also think it's going to make more games in the regular season meaningful. I mean, if you're Kansas State a year ago, even though you're outside of the, you know, Big 12 championship, that last game really has some meaning. Maybe you can sneak in with nine wins there. Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, so maybe we'll just see this impact the regular season. I think the long-term impact, if they keep it this way, of Big 12 teams making regular appearances will raise their profile quite a bit beyond, I've said this before, beyond just going to a New Year's Six Bowl. 
I think if you're constantly in the playoff, even if you're losing, people are still going to note that you're kind of hanging around with the big boys. If you can take the next step, it could be pretty significant. Anything more, Gills? Nope. No. Uh, I'm just, you know, like you said, Fitz, I'm excited, really. Like, what was K-State's first loss was Oklahoma State on the road, right? Like, from that point on, um, getting to the college football playoff, no, I hope Florida State fans aren't listening. But, like, you go undefeated, you're hoping you can get in. But that first loss, like, okay, that's kind of deflating. But now you have some wiggle room. You can drop a game here, you know, maybe struggle on the road and, you know, lose two games but still have a good chance. Um, But – yeah, Zach, you mentioned the n- nine yeah. wins. Um, you know, I think you got to get 10, right? Especially yeah, if you go nine I, and three or whatever. Now that regardless of if Oklahoma and Texas were good or not, or their, res- or their ranking was good, like I think if you had those teams and you beat one of them, like you can get in with nine. But now that they're gone, like the committee is not going to view that win over Utah or whoever as important. Fitz, you're laughing at me. No, Am I'm I laughing. At, I'm, Daphne is giving me okay. like the biggest okay. doe eyes down here. <laughs> like, love me. And I'm like, I'm working. And she's like. <laughs> so. Yeah. So I went back to 2019 is the earliest. The The top 12 had a nine win team. But the 12-13 line, it was Auburn at nine and three. Alabama was 13, but they were 10 and two. So I assume that Auburn beat Alabama that year. I'm not going to go back and look. But. You also had Michigan at nine and three and Notre Dame at ten and two in your top fifteen. So I just I I do not see a scenario where a nine win team makes it in as an at large, not only from the Big Twelve, but from the ACC or the Big Ten or from the SEC or the Big Ten. Interesting. That I don't think there is any way that we see a nine win at large team in the playoff. Maybe one in every five years. Well, if the maybe, SEC had but, their way, uh eight wins would get you in. <laughs> like the only way in right the only way a nine win team is making this playoff is if they somehow in a very off year in some conference say the ACC the second place team is wins the big wins their championship game and they have nine wins somehow i think that's the only way a nine win team makes a yeah. playoff well that would have been Kansas State a year ago right, right? well they had 10 after oh, the, they had 10 they had 10 the after the championship yep, but. that's right okay next question is from Kaned, does the new Nike deal guarantee actual Nike gear or is there a risk of being outfitted in Fanatics jerseys? And what he is referencing, if you are unaware, the MLB just redid all their materials for the 2024 season and Nike is using a different material. But the biggest thing is the numerals and the nameplates and the logos they're all different and they're all much smaller and they look very bad. It is very low quality. They aren't the same size. What I do find interesting, though, is last year, the Royals, they will be the only team of the 30. They are wearing the same size numerals and nameplates because they got an agreement with Nike and the, in the, in the MLB last year. I guess when they saw the test ones, they're like, no, we're not doing that. That looks bad. So, like, the Royals look good right now because they're wearing the same numerals and stuff from last year. They have the new fabrics, which the fabric isn't the issue here. It's what they look like. But anyway, that's the side rant of what Kanet is getting at here. But no, what look, that's not going to happen. I mean, they, yeah. they've got to wear Nike, Nike, Nike and that, but let's keep in mind, Nike isn't some magical place where everything is made by 
magic elves in, in Portland. It's it's all coming out of Chinese manufacturing, and maybe they saved some money and went to a different manufacturer. Um, I'm sure they've got their own facilities, but uh, there's a lot of room in there to be outstanding or eh, kind of mid. Uh, and oh, I, I don't know. I No, it's all going to be Nike stuff, and there's not going to yeah. be any of that. In fact, the, the contract stipulates that you can't use other shoes. Like, track guys can't use Asics, right? Right. They can't. They got to wear Nike. Every, yeah, everyone has to use Nike. Uh, and to the point here is what Nike did was they told Fanatics to make all of the Nike gear. And it's a lesser product is what this MLB stuff is. So it's a little different. See, that's what, what, he's, what he's asking. They kind here. of sub-license out a lot of stuff. Yeah, Nike and Nike will. And I think they've done this with BSN Sports. Um, they make a lot of. They're they're licensed by Nike to make Nike stuff essentially, so I don't know how much is genuine Nike gear, so to speak. I mean, they N- Nike is such a big company; they can't possibly produce everything that they make. Right? There might be a swoosh on it. The tag might say Nike, but you can probably go to that factory and get the same blend Absolutely of can. of threads and put your own logo on it if you don't want you know, a Nike shirt and you want it to say something else. Uh, I mean, it happened when uh, in the NFL, when they switched from Reebok to Nike, like 14 years ago or 12 years ago, whatever it was, I want to say the Packers were very adamant that they wanted the same jerseys. It was literally the same manufactured Jersey just with, with the Nike badge on it. So, you know, material stuff. I'm not really concerned there with, with what could happen with Nike. And I think, Going forward, I think you're going to see a very similar product that um, that Nike and K-State are putting out there. Okay. From Came to Elevate, last question of the podcast. Do the SEC and Big Ten quit scheduling Big 12 and ACC teams in football so there will be no data points to compare? Thus, the SEC and Big Ten can just say we are better and deserve most of the playoff spots. Interesting. Uh, but they're going to create data points between the conferences. I mean, if you got the SEC getting their ass kicked by the Big Ten in non-conference games, I it, either way, I think the Big Twelve can benefit from this. I I get your point totally. Um, kind of the reverse of what I've been saying. If they want to break off and do their own thing, to say, well, we're never scheduling you in anything. You guys are in your own thing now. Uh, go away. Uh, and I think at that point, the Big 12 and uh, ACC or remnants of it just take control of the NCAA and say, okay, you're no longer part of this organization, so we won't compete against you in anything, including the tournament, basketball tournament, or any other softball events. Or, uh, yeah, if you want your own thing, have fun. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, I can see them doing stuff. Right now, the Big 10 and SEC are in a a rut, I want to say. Or maybe they're plotting and scheming to the point that anything that benefits them, they don't care about the consequences for everyone else or the sport or college athletics or the athletes, whatever makes them the most money. It's What we're seeing here is an absolutely disgusting money grab by two conferences that are, you know, clearly going to blow up something America loves just because they can make a buck off of it. But I think it's fool's gold. Eventually, if they ruin it, the money's going to go away. Yeah, I just, 
I think like what you said, I think if you just play each other and one conference starts dominating the other, they're not going to want to keep want to keep playing that same conference. I think that playing Big 12 and ACC schools kind of serves as that alternate data point to say, hey, we can play with everybody. It's not just these two. But if they like you said, if they split off, you know, I, I can't imagine uh, the rest of the NCAA institutions, if the Big Ten and the SEC do split off to allow them to compete in the NCAA. I think that they truly will be cut off from the NCAA tournament, the, you know, anything, any NCAA championship. I don't see a reason if these schools in football decide to go off on their own to be able, you know, to be continued to allow and how the, the institutions, you know, whatever they become, there's 18 teams in the big 10 right now, 16 in the sec, those 34 schools just eliminate them from the NCAA tournament. And all of the other NCAA championships, just get rid of them. And I think that the NCAA will be in a better place if that's how it continues to go. And I think that if that was what the consequences were for those two conferences, I think they would reconsider their positions in football. But I think at the end of the day, I think what what's going to happen is you're going to have some of the bigger schools, the Big 12 and the ACC say, hey, we want to be a part of that party that's not the NCAA. And, you know, when you look at how many more they might expand to, you know, they're at 34 right now. Maybe the number's 40, maybe the number's 48. Well, if you're K-State, maybe that puts you in a little bit of a bind. Which one do you want to be on? Because of the remaining non-Big Ten or SEC schools, if you're a school like K-State, you feel like you might be on the inside of that conversation and all of that extra money. So as, as much as you know, from the K-State perspective that we want to talk here and we want to save what college sports are as what they've been, it's really tempting to say, hey, we might be in this club. We probably want to be in that club. I think it's an interesting argument to make. I would agree. Gills, anything? Two words. I agree. You got it. Okay. (laughs) Boy, he's so talented. Tell you what, he's a keeper. Uh, that's it, right? That's it. That's it for this edition of the Powercat Podcast. We'll see you next week, or you'll see us. How's that work? We don't actually see them. We Anyhow, don't see them. That's it. We're going away now. Have a great week and weekend. Cats and Bearcats on Saturday in Cincinnati. This has been a GoPowerCat.com and Spirit Street production. Please support this show by subscribing to this YouTube channel or follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meats. Exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Yo, what's up, Malibu? 
It was meant to be a farewell concert, but it changed the music industry forever. We gotta do it again. And launched the careers of countless artists. We had all been underground bands, but that was changing. All while giving the mainstream the middle finger. That's entertainment. Don't miss this three-part docuseries that was 30 years in the making. Lala, the story of Lollapalooza. New docuseries now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.